0: Good morning, church. Good morning. I'm a little bit nervous this morning, so let's bow for a word of prayer right at the beginning, okay? Father, um, the timing of this Sunday for particularly our family uh, just fills my heart with uh, a little bit of dread. Uh, I I don't like endings to things very often, uh, especially things that have been hugely meaningful and good and gracious, uh, and just such a blessing in my life. Um, but uh, as we we come together this morning as a family, I just want to say thank you for this time. You knew we would need times like this to fill our cups, to recharge our batteries, to enable us to do things we can't do on our own. And so I thank you for uh, challenging us, for calling us to come and worship together. We could do this on our own. We could do this under a tree somewhere or, or quietly in our bedroom. Uh, but you said there's, some, there's a power when the body comes together and brings their worship together as one. And we just had a chance to witness that. Uh, thank you for our sister Tara and her gifts and, and for the, the truth that she sang, but also for just the gifting of the way she sang it. Uh, just thank you. Thank you for filling that with your spirit. And I pray the same for this message, that you will speak to us now through your word, not mine that truly you will take this sack lunch of a message and break it uh, like you did so many years ago on that seashore with that little boy's lunch, and that you will make it a a feast for our hearts, for our lives, that we will not leave here the same as we came in this morning. And I ask us humbly in Jesus' name, and everyone said I want to start with a question. When was the last time that you were surprised that someone actually did what they promised? maybe even especially under adverse conditions. They assured you they would. They promised you they could. And you hope they meant it. And then they made good on their word. (laughs) They showed up on time. And they gave the discount. They repaired, they replaced, they fixed. Whatever they promised they would do, their performance matched the promise. And you were more than delighted if you're like me. You were dumbfounded. (laughs) because that doesn't happen that often in this world. I purchased a set of Simmons binoculars uh, probably close to 35 years ago. They came with a lifetime guarantee. The warranty was simple, and it was straightforward, and it had promised if these were ever damaged uh, or if I, by either my carelessness or because of a malfunction of the equipment, however they became damaged, they would either repair them or they would replace them. Well, on no less than three occasions, I know I knocked them off, dropped them or something because it, it, it made the vision go double vision inside the binoculars. Uh, and so I sent them into the company. And I remember the first time that I did it, I held my breath and I thought, well, yeah, let, let's share what they do with this. And, and sure enough, they fixed it and sent it back, no charge. Second time, same thing, sent it in, came back, totally repaired, no charge. Third time. They didn't just send. A, they sent me a new pair of binoculars, because obviously they couldn't be fixed. And I would still have those binoculars today, except for some derelict who broke into our home and stole them. I hope he died of COVID. No, I'm just shook. <laughs> Actions really do speak louder than words, especially when it comes to promises or guaranteed action. And I say that because if Christmas season points us to anything, it points us to a God who acts. Amen? Amen. His love for us isn't just a felt love. It is an action. It's not just something that he talked about. It's an action. He didn't just promise a light was to come into our darkness. He came. And he came under adverse conditions, to say the least. He came even if it meant coming under Herod's death threat but he made good on his promise and came anyway. He came even if it meant coming as a minority and a refugee, but he came anyway. Even if it meant being birthed through the womb of a newbie mother and delivered in a barn of all places, he made the decision to come anyway. God, through the prophet Isaiah, promised a light into our darkness, and he was making sure his actions lined up with his words. And you've lived long enough, if you've lived probably more than three or four or five years, to see that that just doesn't happen very often. Service, especially promised service, matters to our Father. So it's no wonder that the Lord's brother, James, would encourage us to live as Christians, live as representatives of this Jesus, live as ambassadors of this Christ, with a combination of words and actions. So let me ask right up front, how are your Jesus words lining up? this week with Jesus' actions. James says, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror and you see yourself, but you walk away and you forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the law, that sets you free, and if you do what it says, do what it says, and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Wow. Forget Simmons' warranty. That's the Savior's warranty. And you can trust that it's good, I promise you. Sister, you have God's word that if you do more than just read about service and sacrifice, but you live it, you will be blessed as Jesus was blessed and honored for it. And I really want to say one more time, don't take my word for that. Take the Lord's brother's. Just hearing it talked about, like we're doing this morning, amounts about as much as looking into the mirror quickly and walking away and forgetting what you saw. Very forgettable, especially with a face like mine. This is a man whose name is Andras Toma. He was born during World War II, and he fought for his country, Hungary, against the Soviets. They captured him in 1944, and they sent him to prison camp about 1,000 miles east of Moscow. And he was forgotten about. Because he didn't speak Russian, only Hungarian, he couldn't communicate with anyone, and no one really cared about communicating with him anyway. So for 56 years, he remained there. Even after the war was over, he remained there because everybody presumed he was dead. Well, someway, somehow, I don't know what the spark was, but years later, the U.N. realized there was a prisoner of war left in the Soviet prison from World War II, and they needed to get him out. Some advocates fought for his freedom. They secured his release, and when you know it, (laughs) the thing that Andres asked for when he was released after 56 years from prison was to see a mirror. There were none of the prison camp that he was held hostage in. And the people who witnessed him actually looking into that mirror that he was given said this. It was obvious he didn't recognize the man who was staring back at him. Friends, as followers of Jesus, we have been called to be fluent in a language that is foreign to uh, most of the people in this hostile world. And it's the language of sacrificial love. As children of God, as a citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we have been called to be familiar with the grammar and the syntax and the diction that surrounds this very, very specific language. And I want to say limited language in this country. And that's the call to serve. That's why you heard David say so much about what happened here with two of our incredible women who serve at this church, with Vicki and with Cindy. To see people show up and actually give themselves away, make some mark, people notice. And that's an answer to a call. We're in a series called, called, and for right for many weeks, probably close to seven or maybe eight, we've been talking about the ways that God calls every single one of us. And the last two that we're gonna be looking at is one of them is this week, is to call to serve. It's a call to serve. Universal call to everyone that God makes. When we start breathing till we take our last breath, several have been we've talked about already that are that are pretty much uh, across the board. He's He's calling us to be a part of Him. That's the salvation. He calls us to be transformed by Him. He calls us to be in mission with Him. But in all of that, some very very specific things that He calls us to to worship. We looked at this last week. That when we fix our eyes on God, something unique happens that doesn't happen any other way at any other time. Because what we've learned from worship is this, that we become what we behold. We become what we behold. And so that's why the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews 12 and verse 2, you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, who both began and finished this race that we're in. Study how he did it because he never lost sight of where he was headed. Now, that's why we've gathered here today, in some form or fashion, to try, (laughs) with all that's going on in your crazy lives out there, for a moment, to just kind of push things aside and to realign our focus for just a bit. And it just, on the Creator's Son. That's what this season, this Creator's Son who came into this world in that unique way that I mentioned a while ago with this newbie mom in a barnyard, uh, a long trek to go pay some taxes. Just for a little bit to see what happens when we turn our hearts and our minds towards Him. And for our leadership here, what we hope is, what we believe will happen is, is that what we behold is what we will become. And that will all be changed just a little bit. That we'll not just receive a love that we've been given and offered, but we'll also become that love. In Matthew chapter 3 and verse 17, God says something that I think we mostly reserve, believe was reserved for Christ. This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. That happened at his baptism. And how it actually got hurt, I don't know for sure. Some people thought it hundred, thundered, but, but specifically later, Matthew tells us this is exactly what was going on there. God spoke to his son and said, this is my dearly loved son. He brings me great joy. With him I'm well pleased. Now, I want to say this. I don't think that that was reserved, and I still don't believe it does, is reserved for just Jesus. I think it's reserved for any child of God's whom he sees all out allegiance from That's rare in this world. I got to believe still God says about you got to look over there. There's my boy And he brings me great joy. And then there's my girl and she brings me great joy, and they know why Because it is a rarity to speak this language of sacrificial love and absolute obedience to Jesus Christ But that's what our elders hope for is that when we gather together as a family, we fix our eyes on this King of kings and Lord of lords. In sociology, let's step away from just Scripture for a moment. In sociology, we know that what you behold is what you become because there is a theory called the looking glass theory. The basis for this theory is simply this. You become what the most important person in your life thinks you are. Interesting. Now, depending on the caliber of people you surround yourself with on a daily basis, that can be a very good thing or that can be a very bad thing. Let me illustrate the positive side of that. I want you to simply see uh, this 53-year-old man with Down syndrome being reunited with his 88-year-old dad. And see how it touches your heart. Now, what you're watching is a dad and a son who, for 53 years, have never been apart except for one evening. And this young man right here just got back from summer camp for a week. And what you're witnessing simply is a boy's response to a love he's learned, that he's beheld. And he comes down off that escalator, and he finds his dad, and it's almost a little embarrassing to watch that much loving going on, right? Right? But then it's touching, it's moving. But when you stop for just a moment and think, where does that come from? It comes from a love that that young man has beheld, and now he's just reciprocating it back to his dad. And that's what God hopes happens here today. That's what he hopes every time that, that we stop for a moment, whether it's here amongst a group of people, or it's, or it's alone in what we might call a quiet time, or out there staring at a sunset, And we're beholding this Father and we're beholding what he's meant and is in our lives where he's hoping that 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 love comes back, but specifically we're going to talk about today in sacrificial ways. We talked last week about worshipful ways, but he's called us to serve because that's what his love for you caused him to do. James says this, don't just listen to God's word through some preacher or some book You must do what it says. You must obey what he asks us to do. Believe that love. Trust that God who offers that that level of love that he's capable and worthy, listen to me, of being followed, of being obeyed. Now that's not a word that we use much in our culture anymore because some way or somehow it's, it's almost become borderline bad to say or expect obedience from someone. But obedience is simply this. It's trusting God to decide for me. That's it. Trusting God to decide for me. When we obey God, saying he and what he thinks matters more than what I think or what I believe, that's a strange language for our world. Albert Camus, the famous philosopher, said, Life is a sum of all your choices. Be careful how you make them. I hope young people that are listening to this message hear that. And learn that early on because my goodness, it'll save you a lot of grief. Columbia University and their sociology department determined that we make between 70 and 80 choices a day. I think that number is kind of low. But we'll go with that because it's a it's a collegiate study. Seventy to eighty choices, but seventy to eighty of anything in a day is a lot. Now, you multiply that by seventy-year lifespan, that's over two million choices you're gonna make. If you're in parish and you live to be 96, that's nearly 3 million, all right? So, friends, since these decisions day-to-day have such an impact on who we become, let me encourage you to make one. Just limit it, boil it down, narrow it down to one choice, and here it is. That you obey God from here on out. Period. That if you have to make any other choice today, that you start with this one. I will do what God's asked me to do, period. Someone who's demonstrated that he loves me that much, I think deserves an opportunity to help me make the most significant choices in my life. And when you do that, you're saying, God, I trust you that what's best for my relationship is what's best for me. You make those decisions for me. Father, I trust you to know what's best for my financial needs, so I'm going to listen to your counsel on how to handle my money. Father, you know what's best for my career, and so I'm going to conduct myself like you advised me to. Father, you know what's best for handling these anger-filled moments that I find myself in on occasions. And I'm going to trust that your advice on dealing with them is best. Brother, when we trust God, it makes me not just a church-going person. It makes me a godly. Who I behold is who I become. Now, I'm curious. How many of you here this week were indecisive about something? Okay, maybe what you were going to wear, what, you're gonna eat, what you are going to eat. How many of you were not sure about being indecisive this week? Go ahead and raise your hand now. <laughs> Let me help you feel better about indecisiveness because sometimes I feel it no matter how often I try to pledge my, my obedience to God. <laughs> I read about a couple this week, Octavius Gillian. And Adriana Martinez, they got engaged in 1902, but they didn't get married till 1969. A 67-year engagement. They'd make wedding plans, have a fight, break up, make up. Make wedding plans, have a fight, break up, make up. Make wedding plans, have a fight, break up, and make up. For 67 years, they were engaged. And I tell you that story. Because I think on this particular day, someone has been brought here whose relationship with God is like that. Maybe you were raised coming to church, your parents brought you, maybe your friends brought you, and you made a decision for Christ. But then you had a a season from high school through college where you rebelled, did your own thing, or maybe you had a season where you dated this guy or this girl and God took a back seat if he had any place in the car at all. Or maybe work began to dominate your life and, and you, and you kind of did your own thing there too. And then, or maybe you had kids, whatever the circumstances are. God's brought you here to this place and you've been putting off not knowing about him, but obeying him. Obedience. You know a few scriptures. You know more what God wants from you, but actual obedience, doing what he's called you to do. It's not where you've been. Let me define what's at stake for you. Satan cannot steal your eternal life if early on you made a decision for his son. But the one thing he can do is steal your abundant life. Jesus came so that you could have life and have it to the fully promised. And nothing will rob your joy like disobedience. When you sleep with someone who's not committed to you for as long as you both shall live, there may be pleasure in that for the moment but there will not be any lasting joy. When you max out your credit card, you may experience a momentary high from the purchase, but that will quickly fade when the payment comes and you've got to make it with money you don't have. When you get drunk with people you don't even like and they don't really even like you, there's no lasting joy in that. You see, there's two competing voices in your head when it comes to obedience. The first voice says this, I obey and therefore I'm loved. The second would say this, I am so loved, and therefore I obey. Now, depending on the kind of parenting that you were exposed to, or maybe even the kind of church that you were raised in, that's going to determine how you hear those two statements and what you believe about them. But I can assure you with almost 100% accuracy from my viewpoint that if you believe the first one to be true, you will struggle believing that God really does love you. And you will struggle with obedience. But if you begin to believe the second one, that because I am so loved, therefore I obey, (laughs) that's a game changer. It's a game changer. It was for me, at least I can speak from my own testimony. Because guilt is a terrible motivator, short term at best. Shame is a terrible motivator, short term at best. But long-term motivation, that hinges on you knowing how loved you are by anyone, but especially God. Sacrificial love, that's a motivator. What does it look like? It looks like compassion and kindness and understanding towards those that you love, sure. But it also looks like compassion and understanding and kindness to people you hardly know at all. Watch this. Finally tonight, Steve Hartman's been following the journey of Chris Rosati as he lived with and in spite of ALS. We've watched him give away donuts and honor kids for random acts of kindness. Now Chris is out to make kindness contagious. Here's Steve on the road.
1: His voice is almost gone, but as we first reported last March, Chris Rosati still has a lot to say about how to make the world a better place. His most recent revelation was about the butterfly effect. The butterfly effect is this idea that a single butterfly flapping its wings on one side of the globe can, in theory, start a hurricane on the other. It's a physics concept, but Chris wondered if it could be applied to kindness as
0: well. And I know, kindness, how far gonna go?
1: Last winter, he decided to test the theory at this diner in his hometown of Durham, North Carolina. He saw two girls at the table next to his and gave them each $50 with one very simple instruction. Do something kind.
0: And then we left. That was the end of it? Yeah. And I forgot all about it.
1: Until? We got this email. It included pictures from a village in Africa with people holding signs that read, thanks a lot for spreading kindness. Chris Rosati. It was
0: the butterfly of no.
1: The two girls responsible were 13 year old Kate Cameron and her 10 year old sister Anna. Hi, Dad. They say they couldn't believe it when a stranger gave them each $50. You didn't want to let him down? No. That makes you want to do something good with that money. Yes. The girls say they already knew about this village in Sierra Leone where their dad had worked in the Peace Corps. They knew the people there had been working hard to fight Ebola. So the girls paid for a feast to help them celebrate being Ebola-free. They say it felt great to help. It's inspiring me. I would definitely encourage other people to do it. Now that it's proven, what do you do?
0: Oh, man. (laughs) You um, get a whole lot of butterflies. They'll flap their wings. (laughs)
1: To that end, Chris Rosati, who's already done so much for North Carolina, launched his latest campaign. He told these screaming fans his plan to give out hundreds of little butterfly grants, $50 each, to any kid who wanted to start changing the world. We did a bake sale for cancer in order to raise money for a cancer hospital. We did a project where we put a bookshelf in a soup kitchen. Since this story first aired, Hundreds of kids across the country have either gotten a grant or acted on their own, and it continues to spread. All these acts of kindness, all inspired by one man's simple gesture. Looks like a hurricane's brewing. Steve Hartman, on the road, in Durham, North Carolina.
0: matter how difficult your life is, you can make a difference. That's the CBS Evening News. Scott will be along Sunday on 60 Minutes. I want to be a butterfly. Amen. Um, Not because if you do, uh, you get on television, you have a high school group of folks gather together and applaud you and have the choir sing. I just want to be a butterfly because I've, I've had a butterfly land in my heart and his name is Jesus Christ. And he has just rocked my world. Uh, ridiculously loved this guy. And I believe with all my heart that, um, that anything that he asks of me deserves some doing. <laughs> it just does. Um, because of the warranty he's promised me that if I will obey, if I will follow him, if I will if I will be light like him in this world, he will, <laughs> he says it clearly, reward me. He will make my life rewarding. Now, that's a contract that I want to be a part of. Speaking of contracts, <laughs> I was reading one this last week, uh, and it's amazing. As some of us have done this before. See if you haven't done this. All of a sudden, you've got to, um, before you can... Uh, Activate a service, you've got to go through the little um, promise, I accept, I accept, and you, you've kind of four or five pages, get to the last one, click accept so you can have what your service is. Be careful next time you do that. You will be a little bit more after you hear this. Um, a company by the name of Purple, who is uh, a Wi-Fi service, here's they, what they included in their little contract. I agree to work 200 hours of community service, which would include cleaning toilets and relie- relieving sewage blockages. <laughs> People actually signed that contract without knowing that that's what they were signing. A company by the name of uh, Secure, uh, their cybersecurity firm, put this in their little agreement. I agree to sign away my firstborn child to you for the duration of eternity. <laughs> uh, some of you are thinking, uh, can you sign that even after they're grown? <laughs> We actually sign things, agree to things. We have no idea what we're agreeing to. And what I love about Jesus is he has no fine print like that. None. There's no hidden clauses. They're going to reach up and grab you. He's right up front when he says, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And to give my life as a ransom for many. And I'm calling you to the same. I will pour my love. I'll go to the Instagram. I'll give my life for you. But I'm asking, unless you're serious about that, don't don't even think about being my disciple. Man, those words challenged me again this week as I've been thinking about, yes, the, the warmth and the fuzzies of God coming in the form of a baby and nativity scenes and joy to the world. But that baby came to sacrifice himself for us. And my, how that's changed our lives. And the butterfly effect continues because you're here this morning, even though many of us are on the road or seeing family or whatever, you're here this morning to fix your eyes on that one more time because you believe it makes a difference. And I'm just telling you, maybe one of the last times, you're looking at a satisfied customer. You are. There is no life There is no love in this guy at all without him. There's just not. Just not. I I, I know people have had bad experiences with church and bad experiences with Jesus, but my whole life is what it is because of Jesus Christ in it. And I just want to make sure of all the things you remember about me or you hear me say, it's that one satisfied customer here. For heaven's sakes, if we just wipe that away for a second... You live in America for heaven's sakes. I got back from Bissau, Ghana. Some of you guys who've been in the military and traveled outside the country or some of you who've been on mission trips outside the country, it is amazing just to get back across the borders and get home. I remember getting back from Bissau, Ghana. I walked into H-E-B for the first time since I'd been on a trip and the doors just opened before I even got there. And I walked in, and this guy handed me this cart who had just wiped it down with a very clean wipey to wipe away some insidious disease that whoever had it before me had it. And I go down to the very first aisle I come to. is the potato chip aisle. Do you know there's 150 types of potato chips at H-E-B? Is that nuts or what? When I get to heaven, I want to hug Mr. Lays and say, thank you for changing my life. That's just one aisle at one store in one store in Little Kerrville, Texas. We have it amazing here. There's no bombs going off in our streets right now that you're having to worry about. Uh, sniper fire when you go back home or go out to lunch after this. Are you kidding me? You're blessed just by being in this country. Fresh drinking water at a tap. Safe streets here. It's just crazy to me. Just the country that I live in, regardless of the pandemic that's raging and the politics that are raging, it, it's a blessing just to be an American. And that's, that's just the tip of the iceberg. We, we, we move on. For me, now let me move back into where Jesus Christ has, has filled my life. He put me in a place to love and be loved on by this group of people. And I'm telling you, it has been absolutely one of the best things of my life to be here with you and work with you and love with you and cry with you and go through some of the craziness we've been through together. The wife He's given me. Twice I've won the lottery. Twice. Someone who doesn't just love me with words, she loves me with actions, sacrificial actions. And I'm trying to love her back. But let me tell you why I'm trying to love her back that way. Because Jesus Christ loved me. My own love for her couldn't make it last 38 years. No way. I say it to every couple that I ever marry. The love you're pledging today, if it's just your love, won't be enough. It won't be enough. You're going to need Jesus' love coming in you to flow through you to this other person to make it last forever. And I've had the of of loving someone and being loved by someone who believes that. My kids, if there's anything good about my kids, it's because of Jesus Christ in my life. They love him. They're trying to honor him as a part of his kingdom. Are they perfect kids? No. Look at the parents who raised them. No. But man, we're going to be in heaven together with you. God did that. He did all of that. And so much more I don't have time to tell you about. One satisfied customer who's trying as best as he can, feebly at times, to obey what he's asked me to do. And part of that is to serve and serve well. And I'm saying this this morning, not so much to try to ignite something here or to start something, but to encourage you to keep on doing what you've been doing, church. That you keep on stuffing bears for kids who are in hospitals who need a soft spot in a rough place. That you keep on making sure Bibles go to Europe and they get to hear about the gospel for the first time, let alone the hundreds or thousands time that you've heard about it. That you keep setting off grace bombs with envelopes filled with cash placed in waiters' or waitresses' hands who live paycheck to paycheck. That you keep on loving on moms and their kids who've never known a safe home and consistent expressions of love in their lives, but it's being provided through arms of hope. That you keep throwing birthday parties for the mentally challenged at the state hospital. That you keep welcoming parents and mates to spend their last days in your home before they die, as much as possible. That you keep teaching children's church so that moms who come to our church can enjoy being with the church. That you keep taking students to lunch to listen to their struggles and joys and let them learn from yours. That's what it means to be a butterfly. And it has an effect. God promises this. If you will love sacrificially like you've been loved, it will make a difference in your life. It will. Paul said, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, you will reap a harvest if we do not give up. I get tempted to give up sometimes. How about you? And you've helped me time and time again to lift my face, renew that focus, and remember that I've been called to serve because I've been served so wonderfully. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning, and we want to answer that call. As a church, we want to celebrate specifically the light that's come into this dark world. First of all, our dark worlds and how it's changed us. And we confess sometimes we just get caught up in the stuff and the hurry and the bustle and the stress and the anger and the craziness of our world. And we lose sight of that. But we've come today to to refix our focus on an event that's changed our world, the coming of your son. And we want to leave here, Father, going in the name of your Son. We want to be that same light that shined into our hearts for the rest of the world. Would you please receive the worship that we come to offer you now? Please be blessed by it, and then please enable us to go be a blessing to others through it. In Christ's name we pray, and everyone's said